Quinn, who the fuck are you? I don't know, but I picked him up and he's been wonderful. Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I am the guy who upsettingly drafted uh, Aristides Aquino, who is now sitting behind Tyler Naquin because Tyler Naquin just can't stop fucking hitting the ball. I know. I picked him up because I needed an outfielder and all of a sudden he's been like, great. So I will take it. Hey, Josh, Um, what is the biggest need on my team? Outfield? Yeah. And my Good thing you didn't trade for Austin Hayes. Um, Because he got put on the IL like the same day we talked about that. Like, damn. Yeah. Yeah. God was just like, <laughs> you Go thought. Yourself. Um, anyway, welcome to the show today. Um, hey. It's been a lot going on. Baseball is up and running. Um, and it, boy, is it fucking wonderful to be in a world of night games once again. Um, right. Yeah. It makes it feel a little bit, a little bit more real. That first weekend of, um, you know, opening day games and then beyond feels a little bit like, holiday like 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 a fleeting thing and then once the first night game hits it's like oh shit baseball forever um so we got i got yankees orioles on here i do it's as well. uh, it is 8 p.m here on the east coast i'm decked out it's in my white Sox gear p.m where i am suck a dick um <laughs> anyway decked out in my my white Sox gear as we are prepping for me to complain about tony la Russa. <laughs> and i want i want I want the Sox to know I stand with this team, but I do not stand with this manager. Uh, anyway. I, uh, I very much agree with this sentiment. Um, I also just want to say, I just remembered we're on video. We're recording. Hey, what's up? I was so lost digging through like baseball Twitter and baseball fantasy that I may have made some funny faces there, and I do not apologize. Nor should you. Um, so let's get into it. Let's actually start, though. Let's start on the on the other side of the uh, of. I was gonna say the pond, but just like other one other sport that we talk about it with any frequency, and that is the English NFL soccer across the pond. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know it, buddy. Um, something that Cord and I have been talking about for a year and hypothesizing um, details, teams involved, and whatnot uh, has finally actually happened. Sam Darnold has been traded from the New York jettisons to the uh, Carolina Panthers uh, in exchange for uh, oh god damn it it's, it's still not here you son of a bitch a 2022 second round pick thank a you 2022 fifth round pick and a 2021 fourth that's off the top of my head that's not actually what it is you should definitely keep looking that up Okay, the Jets received three picks. The sixth rounder in the 2021 draft, that's this season. A second rounder and a fourth rounder in 2022. Dang, that was close. But that's that's a haul. It's, and yeah, and it's very fair. For, for Jets fans, I think, look, the sixth round in this year, who really gives a shit? It's a sixth round yeah. pick. It's but, a guy who could push to be like a depth piece. Not right. anything you rely on. If you have tickets. a if you have a good GM, it, it's it's a role filler that you're you're going to need at some point during the season, mm-hmm. and and that's really all you can ever expect. Um, but for why am I so dark? I have this fucking light on and everything. I was just thinking, why am I so light? And no, it's it's me. I'm dark as shit. Anyway, I just turned it off. Um, 
but that the second round pick is, I think, the upper end of what you were going to get. Coupling that with another high-ish round pick with that fourth rounder, I think, is is exactly where Sam Darnold's value is at. And the fact that um, Joe Douglas was able to get there uh, with a team that makes a lot of sense for Sam, uh, I think, is very fitting. So I am very happy. It is uh, it is surprising. Well, no, it's really not surprising to see that it was the Panthers. I'm just relieved it happened because this this had the makings for a thing that we go, they should do this. They should do this. They should do this. And then they don't. And we go, why didn't they do that? But they actually mm-hmm. did it. So anyway, give me give me your reaction to it. I don't know. I was like genuinely surprised it was the Panthers until I actually thought about what the Panthers are doing and what they're trying to do. And it's like, no, that does make a lot of sense. Like I just kind of put the horse blinders on with, their um the rumors around them trying to move up for qb them being interested in darnold and i don't know so it took me off guard but i have to say i i like that it was for this value i like that it wasn't a first round pick because that honestly would have been too much i'm glad it wasn't for like a third and a fifth because that just seems like nobody took advantage of of what is a very good situation to bring darnold in um, and as far as lottery picks go goes, it's a good one. It's a really, really good one. So and let's not forget that Matt Rule interviewed with the Jets mm-hmm. under the guise of him wanting to coach Sam Darnold. Right. And the only reason the Jets didn't hire him is that he dared to ask if he could hire his own coaches. Oh. Yeah, oh, but anyway. And and the fact that he's going to Joe Brady, he's going to a team that has, you know, Christian McCaffrey who has DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson connecting with that him again. Um, you know, Teddy Bridgewater had a bad year last year. I know some people were talking about how he was washed up going into last season. I know there was people saying how well he fit Joe Brady's system last season. I genuinely just think there's a limit to what Teddy Bridgewater can do with his arm. And it's a very real limit. So I'm glad Sam Darnold can go in there, who by all means has not shown consistency, but has shown the flash that he can push that arm around the field. Um, I don't necessarily think he's ever going to reach those pre-draft standards, but I do think he'll have a a bit of a resurgence, and I think he'll be perfectly fine under um, Matt Rule in Carolina. Yeah, and and, you know, this... I, I saw a lot of like puff pieces from such illustrious publications as the New York Post um, <laughs> talking about how this is a very same old Jets move. And the thing is, it really isn't. It really, really a same old Jets move would have been sticking with this guy Absolutely. who's clearly not working out when you're in a position to actually do something to your team's benefit by cutting the old regime's shit and moving on. And they opted to actually do that instead of doing the same old Jets thing, which is keep a bad situation around because the remedy is too extreme to do in one season. And the other great part about it is that this makes sense for both teams based on where they are in their respective rebuilds. The Jets are in a position to use the second overall pick to draft a new quarterback that will be under team control. Sam Darnold, either you pick up his fifth year option or you extend him right away. And either one of those things, and you know, then you let him free, hit free agency and figure out what you're going to do after that, which means at that point, just extend him. Um, so no matter what, it's an expensive solution to a problem that we're not sure he is the answer to 
or you use the second overall pick. And then for the Panthers side of it, they weren't bad enough to get a first round pick based on the competition for quarterbacks up there at the top. And while they might not be necessarily just a quarterback away, Sam Darnold will be an upgrade that is only going to cost them some mid round draft capital in addition to that second round pick. And he'll be an, he'll be an upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater. And then you figure it out from there. Uh, it, it just seems to make a lot of sense for each side too. Um, and it is, it's, it's refreshing to see the jets actually do the bold thing for once. And it's, it's something that we talk about often where the opportunity to grab a top QB in the draft is genuinely very rare. Like, we talk about, you know, the 49ers going after quarterback because when are they going to finish this high again? We talked about that with the Falcons. When are they going to be this high again? Uh, I'm sure we said it with the Giants before they took Daniel Jones. We said it about we said about so many teams. It's just it's one of those things where when you're this high and there is a genuine top level QB prospect there the value you're getting that you are getting from being in this opportunity is too great to not take it, to not try to build around a cheap, good quarterback, which is the blueprint to win a Super Bowl these days. I mean, I don't want to fill your head with hopes because they're still the jets and your ego is, is not ready to be inflated that high, but the jets are capable of, of doing that, of, building around a core, you know, centered at Justin Fields, at Mac Jones, at, you know, Kyle Trask, whoever the Jets are going to take it to. And they could, they could do it. They could do it. This could be a genuine rebuild for the Jets, and it feels weird saying that. Yeah, I mean, between this season and next season, the Jets have tw- uh, 20 picks in the draft. So this 10, 10 in each each draft. Mm-hmm. This draft, they have the second overall pick and the 23rd overall pick in the first round. They have the they have their second round pick. They have two third round picks. They have a fourth round pick, two fifth round picks, and two sixth round picks. Two firsts this year, two firsts next year. Sorry. Two firsts and two seconds this year. Two firsts and two seconds next year is huge. Uh, two firsts this year, one second, and then uh, two thirds and two fourths and two sixths. Sorry, fifths and sixths. I thought Jesus they had Christ. two in each. I don't see a 2021. No. Two firsts, Only- two thirds, two fifths, two sixths, one second, and one fourth. Hmm. Okay. Okay. That's on me. Got that wrong. That's fine. Either way. In in 2022, they'll have two firsts, Mm -hmm. two seconds, a third, two fourths, two fifths, three sixths, and a seventh. It's a lot of numbers all at once, but the gist of it is they have a lot of capital to improve. Josh is counting. 12, 13, 13 picks in next year's draft. Jesus Christ. Uh, oh, do you think no, they'll I see. be they able to rebuild this team? 
and that's really the and you know it, it, it's it might sound snarky because it's because it's the the Jets, but it's it's not. I mean, first of all, rebuilding a team in general is hard. You know, you would just because some teams actually manage to do it doesn't mean that it's look look how long it took the Browns. So many regimes went by where they couldn't do it. It's a genuine question, especially since it's the Jets. And honestly, for once, I think they can. I do too. I, I think that they're in a really good position with a really good head coach, a, a a good GM, and the plan and foundation to kind of start putting this together. Um, I don't know how many times we've had this conversation over our history doing this podcast about, oh, this is the Jets finally got a good coach. But I, oh, I'm we definitely didn't say that the last time around. We definitely did not. Yeah. <sighs> One other thing that, that really can't be overlooked within the, the Jets draft situation is that they have so much draft capital that if they if they choose to go with those picks, you know, retain them uh, for players, that cap space that they have is even more insane because they're just going to have so many fewer roles to have to fill in free agency. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, at however you want to slice those those 52 slots in your roster, you've got to fill a roster with 52 slots. And if the Jets actually hang on to the 20 picks that they that they have, not that they need to, just if they did, that draft capital and the ability to have such a cheap payroll and be able to really swing your dick around in free agency more so than you usually have the ability to do, it's that's that might mean something. You can't build a team only through the draft. You can't only build a team through only free agency. The only way to do it is through both. Depend, you know, the ratio doesn't always matter, but you know, the Jets need to rely on you know this capital. They need to be able to sign some some quality free agents. And I think once you have one, you can work more on the other and improve on the other. And I think they'll get there. Oh man, I, uh, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself because, uh, I mean, let's not forget what team we're talking about here, but I got to say, I, I am, I am cautiously optimistic. I'm optimistic. I'm going full in sliding head first into home plate like beat Rose. Let's, uh, do you have anything else to say about this topic? Um, <laughs> where do you think Teddy ends up? He's uh, uh, been given the option to look for a trade. I don't think he's going to be starting anywhere. Where do you think he ends up as a supporting oh, role? You know, that's actually a good question. I pulled up um, just just a, a you know league snapshot to see how this alters the the market. Because with the Jets now having uh, officially moved on from Sam Darnold. Um, uh, the picture isn't necessarily just a lot clear because that was kind of an assumption for the Jets and the Panthers weren't exactly QB needy. They weren't QB like solid, but they weren't QB needy either. It was a um, need. It just wasn't a big need. Right, right. Low on the rung. And that's the question of would Bridgewater rather have a starting job or be okay with being the backup? Um, because, you know, some guys really don't mind the backup role as long as the team's good. Right. So because that, that's the thing. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is going to a team that is really good in order for him to be a starter. 
if he wants to be a starter somewhere, he's probably going to have to go to a team. Jeez, uh, like maybe Atlanta, maybe Denver. I have no idea. I think he genuinely needs to just, I don't know how he could be looking at this with any other assumption than being a backup somewhere. Like at this point in his career, what he's gone through, I just don't know how he could actively picture himself as a starter and, you know, a, a quality situation. His, his so, best shot at starting might actually be New Orleans. But even then, I I just that's tough. It is because Taysom is, Hill is on. What, what are they doing this year, <laughs> dude? Who the fuck knows? But Taysom Hill is going to be gone, um, and also shouldn't be playing quarterback anyway. Uh, so it'd be a quarterback competition between, I guess, Jameis Winston and Teddy Bridgewater. And even if the Saints decided and had the money to keep both guys, um, that actually wouldn't be a horrible combination of players, depending on kind of like where you are in the game and how you want to scheme. Um, and and it would give Teddy there. a chance to get serious reps. I mean, he'd probably actually end up playing a considerable amount of time. Very true. I can't imagine Jameis Winston would be having a long leash and Taysom Hill being able to play enough football, just be do enough as a quarterback. So he shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. I don't know about that, but I definitely think he shouldn't be allowed yeah um yeah no i i like that that fit of teddy bridgewater with the new orleans saints again he looked good there um he has some serious talent around him so hey it i think it could i think it could be some uh some good shit man you heard it here first folks teddy two gloves head into new orleans let's go Saints. Prob- probably the best offensive line in the league right now you have Michael Thomas. You have Alvin Kamara. Those are two superstar offensive pieces that play the game like in well, play the game in a way that you don't really need much else. I don't don't think that was much of Drew Brees this past couple uh, these past couple of years. So uh, I think that's uh, really speaking of Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. I now want Teddy Bridgewater to get traded to this team. I do too. Everyone, everyone likes Teddy Bridgewater. He's a good dude. Panthers can take on a uh, a sizable contract of a lesser player that Saints don't really want. That could help with them help them with some cap space. That could get them Teddy Bridgewater, and in return, the Panthers get uh, a quality piece, probably for their defense. Imagine the uh, Panthers take Taysom Hill on his four-year, hundred forty million dollar contract. Uh, what's the but, uh, what's the name of their new owner? Uh, Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> I need to look it up. So the league name. was afraid of that. David Tepper. David Tepper would have to sell the team if he traded for Taysom Hill <laughs> and his entire bizarro contract. Yeah. Do you know what the first suggested? like similar result is when you type in uh, Panthers owner, David Tepper. Who? Uh, Steve Cohen. Oh, okay. Cause why not? Sure. <laughs> Speaking of the Mets, sure. uh, it's amazing to see that nothing has changed. 
I know we're only uh, six games into the season, but it is just startling to see. It's every so and, and this is what we said. This is what we said before the year fully started. Is that every year you talk about how the Mets seemingly get better, and then every year it stays the same. Every year Jacob Degrom goes out there, throws a gem, seems to get his own RBIs, and then the bullpen fucks him. And then every year the offense doesn't show up. And then every year the offense does show up for a bit. And then the bullpen fucks the offense. It's astonishing. It's absolutely astonishing how they just can't do it. It's a fucking nightmare. Oh, God, the Mets are just uh, an embarrassment of a franchise. That's really the only way to put it. I don't want to put it any other way, so I'm not going to. Yeah, they 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 deserve every ounce of pain that comes their way, and I will not be convinced otherwise. Not wrong. Uh, but anyway, so pivoting over to baseball, uh, baseball. I actually want to start with this White Sox thing. I know it was the last thing we had written down, but order doesn't matter. Um, so we've talked a lot of shit about Tony Larusa. We talked yeah. about shit, talked shit about him the second he got hired, and right. we've talked shit about him at every opportunity that's come up to do so since then. Goddamn right. I would like to now highlight a real life impact he's having on this White Sox team. Lay it on me. So. As a percent of all pitches thrown with uh, from, but from the White Sox, so the White Sox on defense is the easy way to think about this. White Sox on defense. Mm-hmm. The amount of the percent of, of defensive opportunities, we'll call those pitches, that the White Sox have engaged in a shift per year. In 2018, they shifted 27.2% of the time. 2019, 22.8% of the time. And in 2020, they shifted 30.1% of the time. And in 2021, they have shifted 9.7% of the time. That is a 67-ish percent decrease in Josh, shifting. With the math, um, fucking wow. We're talking about a strategy that is being talked about being removed from baseball for being too effective. And he's just like, no. Baseball is smarter when we do it this way. I, I, I mean, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. And you know, like you can, the White Sox have actually have some decent pitching. You know, like Juke, Lucas Jukas Leolito, Lucas Giolito is is, is <laughs> really blossoming. Lance Lynn is still weirdly good. Um, Dallas Keuchel is still present. <laughs> they have no. decent bullpen pieces, you know, so it's not like like they're a team like the A's or the Rays where shifting is like vital to their survival because their pitchers are like wacky nonsense. Um, but still, it is an integral part of the game because this is a game of numbers. And while it's played by real people and there's a human element to it, this is this is by far one of the most predictable sports that we have in a, in terms or expectable sports that we have, I don't want to say predictable, but easiest to build in expectations of results based on analysis and numbers. And to just say, I under, I see that you've come up with this and I've also decided fuck you is a ridiculous stance to take. It makes no fucking sense. And this impacts players. 
I understand that there are some players who say, like Francisco Lindor, who, by the way, I'd like to say we should never listen to a shortstop in, in the regards to their opinion about the shift because they have everything to gain from the shift being banned. Because all of a sudden, defensive individual players become significantly important, more important, mm. and that stands to benefit shortstops the most. But I digress. It really fucks That's with the fair. pitchers. Because imagine if your whole job is to stand out there and get ground balls, you do not get to decide to which direction those ground balls go. That is in large, to a large extent, dependent upon the batter. Obviously, you know, if you pitch more outside, you got a better chance of it being more up the middle or to the batter's opposite side, whatever. But to a large extent, it's built into how the batter is going to approach his at bat. You have no, if you get the ground ball, that's your win. And then if the defense behind you doesn't act accordingly, that's not your fault. And what might end up happening with this colossal fucking decrease in the amount of times that the White Sox are shifting is that there's a very, very large chance, um, almost certainly so, that a lot of White Sox pitchers are going to be allowing hits that would not have otherwise been hits, which makes their stat lines worse, which makes it harder for them to get new contracts and, and benefit in arbitration depending on their circumstance. Tony LaRusso is just trying to save some money. Fuck. Tony LaRusso is being a bitch. He is being a bitch. And, and I'll I will be tell honest, that 76-year-old man that to his face. Uh, I don't think anyone would stop you. Literally anyone. Um, fuck, I had something to say here. This is really going to drive up value, if, if it were to happen, of strikeout-heavy pitchers. Pitchers who don't put the ball in play, and now with a more limited defense limiting the number of balls and number of hits that could happen. That'd be big for, you know, guys who can really pump those K numbers. Yeah. I might uh, some, I was thinking a similar thing with uh, fly balls. The problem with fly balls is that fly balls can mm -hmm. also turn into home runs, mm -hmm. but if you're hitting get. it, it depends on the quality of contact, but yeah. Cause the, yeah, if the idea is, you know, you hit, a lot of weak hit fly balls, then you there's time for your fielders to get underneath them. And but if you hit allow a lot, a lot of hard hit ground balls and you have no shift on, then you just have a lower probability of actually fielding those. Yeah. It, it no matter what, it's a right. shit position for the White Sox to willingly put themselves into. You mean three time manager of the year, Tony DeRusa is stuck in nineteen eighty two? I know it might seem wacky and improbable, and I know none of us want to, to believe it, uh, but I think we have to accept the fact that a man whose managerial career started in 1979 uh, might be behind the curve on this one. You are very much not wrong. I would like to remind everyone that the last time Tony La Russa managed the White Sox was during the Reagan administration, Al Gore had not yet invented our good Christian internet. Um, uh, uh, I mean, it was 1980 fucking six. The Mets, the Mets just won the World Series that season. That's the last time Tony LaRusso was the manager of the White Sox, and they're letting him make decisions based on math that I'm certain Tony LaRusso has no fucking clue what it says. I'll be honest, that's fucking hilarious. That's really funny. Ugh. That like, you know, happy. and I'm not trying to be like elitist about it, but could you imagine 
going up to a manager from like 1986 and being like, all right, we've got some calculus that we're going to need you to grasp. They're going to look at you and go, they will just spit tobacco in your face and walk away. I mean, I, can you imagine going to Earl Weaver and saying, Earl, we've got some math for you to riddle your way around. No, that man, that man was so indignant. He had a cigarette, uh, 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 pack pocket sewn into his uniforms. You can't ration with that man. You can't look at that man and say, do me math. That man doesn't give a shit. That man walked around a whole infield of umps and pointed at all of them in the face and said, you're trying to fuck us in real life on camera. That man's not going to look at you and go, yeah, I understand this derivative. That man's not doing any of this. It's fucking hilarious. That's <laughs> and really you, great. All Tony LaRusa is, is that guy picked up, shoved up with racism, and dumped in 2021 in a White Sox uniform and is left to make decisions? I mean, if the managerial role was truly just a puppet master's puppet, yeah, sure, go ahead. But you're letting a 76-year-old man just run wild with choices. Why do you think it's going to go well? And it's a 76-year-old man who's been shown to make poor choices. He has several DUIs. <laughs> he got one this year, that last year. 76. <laughs> Can you imagine he... being a 76-year-old man as in much in a position of power like he is being the fucking manager of the White Sox, one of the teams who are the favorites to, you know, come out of nowhere and win the AL and you're drinking and driving and you're only, you know, only recourse is fucking sue me. I don't care. I'm fucking Tony LaRusso. I don't give a shit. I got rings, bro. <laughs> fucking I got, ring, I got rings, bro. I mean, to be fair, Tony LaRusso is from Tampa Bay, Florida. So we, we have, we must have low expectations for literal, actual Florida man. Oh God. God, he is Florida man. But it it's just mind numbing because part of part of the thing that makes baseball such a wacky, stupid, and fun sport is that you can you can actually work your way into a in, in, logically to say, all right, Austin Meadows is coming up to bat. He um it struggles. If we have a right-handed pitcher come in, we need a right-handed pitcher who throws curveballs i'm making it all up because uh sure. he struggles with curveballs from righties but if we bring in a left-handed pitcher we have to have a guy who throws change-ups because he, he struggles with change-ups from lefties and you can you can back out the math that will actually show you where your best shot is if this is a high leverage situation and you need to bring in a reliever who to bring in even if that's not your best reliever based on the stuff that he throws and who you have up to play that you're afraid of. And that is just such a great way to get the most out of the resources that you have, which is especially relevant if you're the White Sox and you're not the world's most wealthy franchise, or at least you parade around like you're not. What you just said used a lot of words that I don't think Tony LaRusso would understand at this point. And that's the problem. So there we are. That's, I mean, that's kind of how we've reached this point. Think about think about the state of baseball in the 80s when LaRusso was a guy. I mean, okay. 
you were you you let pitchers throw 150 to 200 pitches. Obviously, he's not letting that happen, but the game is just so demonstrably different. And I know that he pitched or managed up until 2011, but he, I don't know if anyone here was a fan of baseball when Tony Larusa was with the Cardinals. He, everyone wanted him out because he managed like an old man. I, 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 like we don't have to remember? keep going on this tangent, but still this spring when people were like really annoyed and upset that he refused to roll over innings during spring training games. So basically if your pitcher went over like a 25 pitch count, you could just say like, now nah, this innings over, I'm done. Cause oh, right. yeah, yeah. you don't want to run through all your pitchers in spring training and cause more injuries. That's just, you know, it's meant to ramp up guys. It's meant to, you know, get them in shape to to play baseball. It is not you don't real want them getting hurt. It's not meant for them to play competitive games. So Tony LaRusso was just like, fuck it, dude. We're baseball players. We play 162 games. We can fucking pitch some innings. Fucking work yourself out of it, bitch. And everyone's like, dude, that's why we play 162 games. So, like, they can do this during the season. Fucking stop. <laughs> Please, sir, it hurts. But Mr. Like LaRusso, I don't feel so good. The, White Sox fans. the last time Tony LaRusso managed the White Sox, Carlton Fisk was leading off. Harold Baines was playing right field. Way to bring it home. Oh my God. Wow. I mean, I mean, really, it's just. It's just startling. Tony Russo, can we just the experiment failed? It's we're like four games into it. Let's just move on. Yeah, the White Sox are wildly underperforming, which is really part of this discussion because it's it's so it's not very common to see managers get sacked midseason in quite the same fashion that you see NFL coaches and NHL coaches fired during season because they have so much say over what happens. It still does happen. Absolutely. But it's not quite the same mood as the other ones where there's a lot more urgency because there's so many fewer games and it just, you, you want to make sure that you're, you're doing everything you can to at least be modestly competitive, but like, you know. what's the saying you win 60 games, you lose 60 games. You know, the season comes down to what you do with the other 40. I don't know. It's, it's, some, it's something like that. No, because it's, it's. No, it is 40. Yeah, you're right. It is 40. Yeah, but yeah, that is yeah. the saying. Um, That's why we, like, you're completely right. It's why we play 162 because there's, this is how baseball's always been played. I don't want that to be one of those like traditional things of like, oh, we got to play 162 game, blah, blah, blah. No, like it's just how the game works. It's just how it's always worked. That's one of the things we enjoy. It's not making the game worse because we play more games. Like it's not football where, yeah, we could play more games, but guys would be fucking killed on the field. We still get really great baseball. Like we've worked out this great system, accept it, utilize it. Uh, whatever i'm over it i know what you mean so let's segue into our conversation about shohai otani by me asking you um 
how do you think Larusa would approach managing a guy like Otani? Uh, As Corwin, for everyone on the radio, rolls his eyes to a extreme degree. I, I, my stomach is just churning thinking about how awful of a situation that would be. Oh my god! Like if I was Otani, I would ask for a trade immediately. If the Angels were to fire Joe Madden and to bring in Tony Larusa, like talk about going from pole to pole on that one. Holy shit! Polar opposites: Tony Larusa and Joe Madden. Maybe not polar opposites. Joe Madden's still super traditionalist, but no solar opposites. Solar, hashtag yeah. watch Hulu. Mm-hmm. Hashtag ad. Uh, hashtag ad. Uh, regardless, irregardless, I don't know words. Uh, fuck, I lost my train of thought because I said words. Uh, Otani, f- he would fucking kill him. Like, there's no way. Like, he would let him do both. It would be, you hit bombs. I can see that in practice every day. You're doing that. You pitch every five days. What do you mean you're not going to throw 200 pitches and hit the same day and hit the next four days while you're resting your arm? Go fuck yourself. Get out of here. You're not a baseball player. And then he'd ruin Otani. Which uh, his team kind of did for him um, in in Otani's first outing pitching uh, any significant or meaningful amount of innings since really 2018. He did pitch in 2020, just not to any significant degree. So this is his first, you know, I'm all going to say his first real outing um, since 2018. Just to get a, a flavor on how it went before we, we really get into the um, nitty gritty of the of the entire pitching performance. Um, oh, where'd it go? Standard pitching. There we go. Uh, so he did not get a decision. He didn't. He didn't quite pitch enough innings. He ended up going four and four and two thirds. Um, he allowed two hits, three runs. Only one of those runs was actually earned. Um, no home runs, five walks, but he also got seven strikeouts. Uh, he had a wild pitch. He faced a total of 22 batters. He ended up, ended this game with an ERA of 1.93. Um, he had a FIP of 3.47 and a whip of 1.5. Um, this are all, this doesn't matter. Those stats will change significantly over time. But anyway, main point being uh, one game started four and two thirds innings pitch, two hits, three runs, one earned five walks, seven strikeouts. Corwin, how'd you feel? about this performance as a large Shohei Otani stan. I watched every single pitch that he threw that night, and I was in fucking love the whole time. Like, he was electric. That was genuinely one of the most electric baseball games I've ever seen. Just with him pitching, you know, him in a a quality matchup, primetime game, where, you know, the fifth inning when he was trying to close out his game and finish up the fifth inning, he was... He was electric. Like it felt like it was the bottom of the ninth in a playoff series. Like there was so much pressure on. He was managing it so well. Like he didn't let anything rattle him. And even when he was wild, he had some wild stuff. Like he was throwing crazy good pitches. And he was severely wild on a couple where he was lucky they were snatched and weren't, you know, let loose or. You know how it goes with baseball. You know how this game, his game ended. Um, but I am, I am all aboard the hype train for Shohei Otani after watching that start. And you know the important thing when a pitcher's coming back 
is that one, he's comfortable. Uh, and two, that you see the velocity at least start to kind of get to where it was. The command stuff will come later. Um, and I'll talk about that in just a second. But I mean, Otani was, was fucking throwing. I mean, his, his, his arm was there. Absolutely. It, what, let's see his, uh, I'm trying to see if I have his average fastball velocity here for that game. I don't see it, but maybe I'll find it later. Um, it I mean, it, yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> it was pretty fucking high. Uh, his average mile per hour on his fastball in that game was 98.1. Yeah. For reference, yeah, like, the last he, time he threw any pitches in 2020, because again, he missed 2019. So not going back to 2018, any pitches. In 2020, mm-hmm. his average forcing fastball was 93.8. So from the last time we'd just seen him, he put back on four and a half miles per hour to his fastball. Beautiful. Which was huge for him last year. That was such a big reason why he just collapsed in those, what, one and two thirds innings. But seeing that back was, you know, a huge relief because that's honestly the biggest indicator for both success returning from injury and re-aggravating the injury. And, you know, we saw the command be all over the place. And I feel like the general consensus is that's always the last thing to come back when returning from Tommy John, returning from, you know, a throwing arm injury. So I'm still super excited. He showed the stuff. Now he just needs to refine it. I still think he's going to have a spectacular season. And I swear to God, if he keeps up even 75% of both of his production levels, MVP. It's a lock. I mean, there's just so much to be excited. Um, So let's get into a little bit of what he threw in that game. So Otani ended up throwing a total of 92 pitches. He only ended up with 10 batted balls, no barrels. Uh, The average exit velocity... Um, on those batted balls was 93 miles an hour, the max exit velocity being 108.6 miles per hour um, with an average launch angle of 1.3 degrees, which is just wonderful. Um, the percent of the batted balls ended up in the sweet spot uh, between exit velocity and launch angle was uh, 40.7%. Is expected batting average against was uh, uh, 212. Jesus, sorry. His expected slugging was 334. Um, his actual WOBA was 292 with an ex-WOBA of 304. And uh, one of my favorite names of stats, his ex-WOBACon <laughs> it was a 357. Um, sorry, 392, my mistake. Um, his hard hit percent, 60%, K percent, 31.8%, walk percent, 22.7%, and an expected ERA of 5.64 with an actual ERA of 1.93. Um let up a lot of walks, but uh, by and large, I think still a wonderful performance. I was going to say something, but I also remembered he's played one game, so FIP means means nothing at this point. ERA means nothing. FIP means nothing. Yeah, th- th- those stats are going to change so dramatically start to start. So let's talk a little bit more about just the, the pitches he threw in that start. Can um, I say before we do that, yeah. I fucking love early season overreactions and just chomping at the bit of how guys do in fucking 10 15 at bats I yeah love it. i it's, i posted it on fantastic. my twitter i i think it should be against every law like federal law 
to post slash lines before at least the first of May. At least. What are we what are we doing? I'm not I'm not against that. Like, yeah, like seeing who's seriously slumping is is funny. Seeing who's like really hot is super exciting. But at the same time, like it's been shown time and time again that it's a toss up of what's meaningful and what's not. I mean, seriously, it's like every fan base that that lost the first series of the season and, you know, their win percent is going to be, I don't know, 400 or whatever less. And a 400 win percent in August. Oh, you're fucked. Dude, you lost two games. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's two fucking games. Who gives a shit? Anyway, it's, it's infuriating. Just be like at this point in the season, just be excited you're actually watching fucking baseball. I mean, like that's all we're here for at this point. Oh my god. I am so excited to be watching baseball again. Me too. All right. You ready for some Otani stuff? I am for some more Otani stuff. So he threw four different pitches in his start against the white the White Sox. He threw his four seam fastball, a slider, split finger, and a curve. He threw his four-seam fastball by far the most of his 92 pitches. He threw 52 four-seam fastballs. That's 56.5% of the time throwing his fastballs. And he kept it pretty pretty tight against the zone. Um, is a little bit uh, high on the on the uh, in the left-handed – sorry, not the left-handed, the, the left side, the right-handed batter's box. Jesus Christ, the dexterity of everything. Um, which makes sense because lineups tend to have more right-handed hitters in them. So that's hot throwing high and tight is makes total sense. Um, his slider, he threw 21 pitches of, so 22.8% of the total pitches that he threw in that game. Again, looking very much so he kept those uh, pitches in and around the strike zone. His split finger was a little bit more erratic. He only threw 17 of them, which ended up accounts for 18.5% of all the pitches he threw in that game. Um, and that's where you start to see him kind of dart all around the zone. He's still got a, a good concentration of them um, to be actually uh, on the corners, uh, but a little, a little bit more disparate with their location. And then he threw his curveball only twice, neither time anywhere near the zone. Um, but again, the, the split finger and the curveball, if those two pitches take more time to kind of find their location, I don't think that's a bad, that just seems like a normal progression. Yeah. I mean, when I watched him pitch, there were so many pitches that were just spot on to where they needed to be, where they were intended to go, just beautifully located in, in, high intensity moments like there were times when he was just so spot on that even with all of those essentially wild pitches and just nowhere close to the zone pitches you know the the ones scattered through his game i'm confident that those will get ironed out yeah um interesting distribution of pitches in terms of where they kind of ended up or how they resulted his forcing fastball of the 10 batted balls, he ended up ultimately allowing eight of them were on his fastball. One of them was on the slider. One of them was on the split finger. 
His expected batting average um, on this batted balls for the forcing fastball was an expected batting average of 463. It's pretty high. Um, his expected batting average on his slider and his split finger was 0.65 and 0.53, respectively, which is nice and low. Um, he got whiffs on 21.7% of the fastballs that he threw. He got whiffs on 50% of his sliders and 50% of his split fingers. He did not use his fastball, not even once for his putaway pitch, but he used his slider 28.6% of the time for, as a putaway pitch and his split finger 62.5% of the time as his putaway pitch, which means he only threw his splitter 17 times in the whole game. But those 17 times were highly concentrated towards the end of the at-bat to give a different look between his slider and his four-seamer. Um, and I think we can sit here and say with a good amount of confidence that it worked pretty well. 50% yeah, whiff. That's, uh, that's putting it nicely. Uh, yeah, man, I'm just so excited for him. I know I picked him to win MVP this year. I'm not wavering with that. Obviously, after this start, I'm just so excited. Even if I didn't you know, put my opinions on him out there already, I would just be so excited to watch this kid play. He's just going to be so good for baseball. He really is. I just want to. I just want to give you one more thing to just ooh and ah over. Um, his vertical movement on his four pitches against average is pretty much right there. So the way um, baseball savant does it is instead of you know you saying like uh, one hundred five OPS plus, we're at five percent better. It's just it's set to zero. Um, so his percent better than average for mo- vertical movement. You know, up and down. Uh, on his curveball, six percent better than average. Slider, two percent better than average. Um, splitter, three percent better than average. And then four seamer is actually negative six percent better than average. So his four seamer doesn't quite get the vertical movement that your average pitcher will. But that's not a big deal. Let's talk about his horizontal movement, though. His curveball movement is forty-seven percent better than average horizontally. Ooh. His Splitter is negative 61% better than average against um, is against horizontal movement. Eh. His four-seamer, negative 46 with horizontal movement. Eh. Those are not those are two pitches that don't normally need significant horizontal movement because they are uh, forcing fastball as long as it's it's gonna be more straight than anything else, and a splitter goes down. Um, his slider, 11.3 inches of movement horizontal movement 136% better than average. Woo. 136% better than average. Woo. That's 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 very impressive. Like god damn. So, no, uh, so there there there's a lot more I could get into with the Shohei Otani part um which I will I will not for now because I could spend all day looking at this page um because for one baseball savant does a wonderful job and everyone should look at baseball savant all the time um but for another part because there's just other things to say but part of the thing that made Shohei Otani's um performance on um oh geez what night was that was that Monday what the Otani game yeah that was Sunday night Sunday night thank you oh right 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 yeah um, was that he also got the chance to bat in the same game he was pitching 
and fucking tanked a home run <laughs> in the pinpoint. first pitch he saw, um, which I, was glorious. I know I tweeted it, but Ethan and I were both sitting down watching the game. Like we were both getting super into it. So excited to see him go up to bat. I was talking up how good of a hitter he was. And when they threw that pitch and this just lightning and the thunder that was that contact and swing and the thunder correct it we just lost it it was so fucking great one of the best moments watching baseball in a long time so good yeah i mean it was it was fucking disgusting uh i wish i could like oh there we go okay i'm trying to find the exact numbers on it will it let me is that like a thing why not it was uh oh wait that's today i didn't want today wait hold on i'm i'm learning a new part of baseball savant like as we're talking and i i'm not sure it's going well hold on <laughs> i'll allow it patience please patience on set okay we're going to find it <laughs> I don't know. Okay. All right. I got it. That home run was uh, 115.2 miles per hour, a launch angle of 21 degrees, a pitch velocity of 97 miles per hour, a distance of 451 feet, an expected batting average of 1,000. That's pretty fucking great. I'll be honest. I mean, I mean there's so nothing, nothing there other than just like pure baseball. Baseball. Nothing I but mean, pure baseball. You got to see both ends of what makes baseball such a fun sport in the same inning. Top of the inning, you're seeing Otani pumping fastballs 100 miles an hour. Of Bottom of the inning, you're seeing him tank homers 115. I mean, if that's not just fucking fun, then what is? What is fun? Uh, baseball. That's all I got. It's the only thing that's fun right now. Oh, I guess speaking yeah, of which, should we talk about your boy? The other face of baseball? Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, who... Uh, Sub sub sublocated 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 shoulder sublocated he dislocated his shoulder it did swinging he, and missing on a ball in a game which is scary to think how hard that swing was uh, at the same time though it's something he's done in the past it's an injury that kind of perpetuates itself where you do it once, it's more likely it's going to happen again. We saw this with Cody Bellinger, um, where it's something that's just going to keep happening, and it's just going to happen more and more frequently until you get surgery to repair it and fix the problem. Uh, the problem is I think I saw that was a four- to six-month uh, recovery time. And, boy, that's that's scary for Fernando Tatis and the Padres. So I am hoping for nothing but the best and uh, expecting the worst. 
I mean, in theory, you know, he'll be back in, uh, I think, next week, two weeks, right? Something like that. Um, I don't know. I, I remember seeing that the recovery shouldn't shouldn't take a very long time. Um, and you, you'd hope that while a frequent occurrence of this injury is bad, a frequent occurrence of this injury is still rather infrequent as mm-hmm. far as the number of times Tatis Jr. will be swinging that, you know, you hope he can get through the season. And then this is something that you try to handle in the off season. Um, yeah. With how hard players swing, I wonder if we'll see the one arm swing slowly disappear and see more players. Cause it's very common and I'm not making any judgments or criticisms only because I don't fucking know anything at a high level about swing mechanics and how they actually work. But it's common to see these types of guys who let go of the bat with one arm, you know, and, and just let it finish out their swing end up hitting. I'm oh, sorry. As I hit my guitar, um, cause it puts your shoulder Sounds in a compromising good. position. Whereas if you left, and again, I don't know anything. I'm just, this is literally just me wondering out loud if leaving both hands on the bat in what is, I think more a, like a more traditional swing might end up helping protect the shoulder a little bit as you go around. Um, Cause I know, I know some players have made the switch to those types of um, the two handed swing because they felt as though they weren't controlling the swing the entire way through. I listened to Gio Rochella talk about this once um, during his resurgence season when he like randomly batted three thirty. Um, like one of his big things was um, keeping both hands on the bat. He felt like he was able to better control the head of the bat going through the zone. Um, but I also wonder if it would change the mechanics of helping protect that front shoulder as it came around at the end, but it'll be interesting because guys are only going to swing harder and harder. Hold on, Corbin, you're muted. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Fix it. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with pitching, you know, like Tommy John surgery is more common today than ever. And in part it's because I think, you know, we're, we're better about being more proactive with these types of things, better at Mm -hmm. diagnosing these types of things, all that shit. Uh, But at the same time, People just throw fucking so goddamn hard, um, which is good for their performance, but bad for their elbow. Um, so I would I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more of these shoulder injuries come about because of how fucking hard people swing. And I was just listening to um, Jameson Tyone talk because he this is his first game back pitching, two Tommy John surgeries, and that he has shortened up his throw because apparently he had a really long stretch back on his arm to come around into his throw. And that can lead to elbow injuries because it puts more stress Mm. on the elbow. And instead of coming back quite so far, if you stay forward, just like a little bit more, you can take some of that pressure off of your elbow. So it's apparently not uncommon to see uh, people who have had Tommy John surgery shorten their, their throwing motion a bit. And I wouldn't be surprised if those same concepts of motion adjustment in order to prevent injury come about on the batting side as well. That honestly really reminds me of the whole Tim Lincecum injury history where he oh. would just 
his front foot would land so far forward and he would just be so extended to get all the velocity that he had with such a small frame that it caused him to just put so much stress on his knees the same way that would be putting stress on uh, his elbow. So that's what caused those reoccurring knee issues that kind of cost him his career in the end, which I mean, Tim Lincecum is one of those guys where I don't remember watching him pitch. I just remember the aura around him while he was pitching and even not being into baseball, you don't, hear the name Tim Lincecum without thinking back on how fucking dominant of a pitcher he was and just like look I know this is off the point but like looking back and seeing everything he did and, and like watching him pitch oh my god what a treat yeah I mean so, the the dude was a monster for those like four great seasons in yeah. San Francisco and I know James Jameson Tyone is not the same caliber of pitcher when he's been healthy I still think he is better than what is almost expected of not expected of him because he's on the Yankees. And so everyone expects him to fucking win the Cy Young if he does end up being healthy and comes back, but he definitely has the talent, you know, he's no, you know, slapdick prospect. Um, speaking of which total, total pivot, but did you see that the Yankees uh-huh. traded for, um, Rugnet Odor? Which, blew my mind until I realized that if he played and someone got hurt, they would save money against the luxury tax, which is fucking wild. How? So like if someone gets put on IL and their salary gets taken away from the luxury tax consideration while he's playing his salary, because it, you know, being retained by the Braves would be zero in the luxury tax calculation. So like, I don't know the specific workings of the numbers, but if someone was to be placed on IL, if someone was to, to be, you know, have their contract removed from consideration there, Rufnet Odor is worth zero and would just save that difference in cash. I'm not sure that's how that works. That's what I read this morning. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I, because I, I'm just I'm just thinking back to to the Yankees debacle with um, Jacoby Ellsbury, because the way I remember that situation being is that the Yankees as an organization weren't losing money because every contract is insured in case something like this happens um, so that the Yankees were probably just recouping all the money that they would have had to give Jacoby Ellsbury. Not uncommon. This is also a thing with the Mets with Yenis Cespedes. They weren't losing money on Yenis Cespedes because his contract was insured, so they, they got money. Um, but that money still had to go against the cap, which is why the Jacoby Ellsbury contract was still hurting the Yankees because they weren't allowed to use that like $27 million against the cap. I think... I will do my best to find out where I saw this, whether it was on Reddit or Twitter or somewhere. Uh, I'll I'll try to find it. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to. This is a fascinating question. Um, sure. Do 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 do. 
Okay. There is also a financial incentive uh, per Yahoo Sports. There was also a financial incentive to make the trade. As first reported by The Athletic, probably where I saw it, Odor's luxury tax number to the Yankees is $0, making right. him a far less expensive bent depth option than even a player making the major league minimum. That would only apply... That would only apply is Odor is on the 40-man roster at the end of the season. All right, I was not the one fucking up those words. That was Yahoo, but regardless... Odor can save the Yankees some money. So they traded for him. Okay, so that, but the injury part wasn't there, right? I assume that would be the depth reason for why that, that would be saved. So, like, the only reason you would have him there is as a depth piece for, I guess, if someone got hurt. Yeah, so, so this, this has been the thing that, that the Yankees Indirectly. fans have been trying to figure the fuck out. Um, and I would I so first off, not that it matters much because I I mean I didn't know who the prospects were that the Yankees gave up for rooting on the door. Um rest in peace. Uh their their names are Antonio Cabello and Josh Stowers. Um and since those are really white names, I bet they're not that great. Um yes, Corwin. Did you see the tweet that the Rangers sent out thanking Rufnador? I did. Including the punch on Jose Batista. That was I fucking mean, perfect. If we're being honest, that is the most memorable thing Rufnador will have ever That's done. That's the only reason I know who that is. For me, it's the ears. It was the general ugliness for me as well. Like, it always shocked me how ugly that man was and, like, have the genes he has. Um, but yeah, it's the punch. Yeah, I mean, he is uh he's not a looker. So when you think of Jose Bautista, what's the first thing you think of? Ears. Jose Bautista? Oh, how Jose Bautista? Um getting rocked in the face. Yeah. He yeah. hit some monster home runs, he hit some playoff home runs. He did a lot for a lot of teams. He was the power hitter of that kind of short era. But my goodness, it was just him getting punched in the fucking face for yeah. pimping a home run. Against the Rangers, back when the Rangers and Blue Jays were two teams to be feared. Remember uh, when the Rangers were, like, genuinely fun to watch? Yeah, they went to back-to-back -to -back World Series. Is, is, remember is, when Josh Hamilton was on that team? I can't wait to say. Remember when Joey Gallo was on that team? Trade him to the Yankees. Please trade him to the Yankees. Um, anyway. So, why would Joey Gallo, not Joey Gallo, why would Rugnet Odor, a second baseman that got DFA'd by the genuinely awful Texas Rangers, mm -hmm. make his way to a Yankees team looking to compete? Greed. Greed? Yeah, they're saving fucking money. That's the only reason they care about. So, Fuckers. I don't think it is. I think the Yankees hate Tyler Wade as much as we all do. No, and I'm being I'm being completely serious too. Because Tyler Wade is awful. Do you know, Corwin, what Tyler Wade's career OPS plus is? 
I don't know a single statistic or number about him or his career, but I've heard enough people talk about Tyler Wade to know that he should not be a major league ball player. All right. If I said 75 over or under OPS OPS plus brain says over heart says under, I'm going to go for the win and say under. All right. If I said 65, over or under? I'm going to say under because it's too wild to be brought up (laughs) otherwise. 56. 56. His best season. His literal, actual best season was in 2019. He had an OPS plus of 85. That was his best season by 20 points. His second best season was last year at 67. In his best season in the majors, his slash line was 245, 330, 362. He had uh, 108 plate appearances, uh, 23 hits, three doubles, a triple, two home runs, uh, seven stolen bases, zero caught stealing. Good for you, Tyler. And 11 walks. That's it. See, I thought I remember him being a bad base runner or causing something on the bases to fuck up a Yankees win or something like that. I, like that's that's one of the things that just sticks out to me. Uh, I mean, he's uh, he, he's he's a, he's a quick dude, you know. But the, the, the real question I think you got to ask yourself is, is that worth it when it's your only skill? <laughs> and I know that sounds really mean, no. but like if the only thing keeping you on a baseball team is that, hey, that guy's fucking fast, then that's I the mean, only thing that, that, that didn't like how successful, how successful have, is Billy Hamilton in this league? I mean, he's still here, which is saying something, but when he's here, it's always laughed about how bad he is. Like, in all honesty, though, the only reason I would have a guy like that on my roster is if the rest of my roster was Nelson Cruz. Like, (laughs) Williams, Astadio, Albert Pujols, Nelson Cruz, like, I don't know, is Jose Abreu fast anymore? Maybe throw Miggy in there. Just all the old slow guys just pimping home runs, but sometimes you need a pinch runner. And that's the only reason to have him. Big pimping. Like the only team that would find enough value from him. Except for the Yankees. And it's it's that part of the equation that I think they just um, fucking hate. Because, you know, defensive replacements or pinch runners or whatever are, are going to be a part of the game no matter what. It is inevitable. And they will almost always be worse than who they're replacing because otherwise they'd be starting. <laughs> and it it's it's just as simple as that. If Tyler Wade was a good hitter, he'd be starting somewhere. Even if it's not on the Yankees, he'd be starting somewhere. Um, and he's just not. And I I I I my guess is that the Yankees view Someone on the team between Gio Urshela and DJ LeMayhew 
as capable of playing shortstop if they need to. Mm-hmm. And with the other one, if should Glaber Torres get hurt, and the other one between the two of them, um, whoever gets picked, I should say, will get replaced by Tyler, by Ruben Andador at second. Um, that'd be also, my guess. Miguel Andujar. He's getting launched into the sun, and you know it. <laughs> um, uh, I would just like to say I, I formally regret making that pick. I was not thinking. I did not do any research into his situation. It is not good. But so Ruben Odor, not a great hitter. Um, what do you think his career OPS plus uh, under over hundred. Under uh, over or under eighty five? I thought I was thinking that was the same number I gave you for Tyler oh, Wade. Shit, um, over. Yeah, eighty eight. Not by much. Now Ruben Odor is a bizarre hitter who owns. A hilarious accomplishment, which is he has batted over 30 or more home runs three times during his career. In two out of those three, he posted an OPS plus under 80 while hitting 30 or more home runs, which is just incredible. You know what? I think I heard John Boy talking about that either, you know, one of the past couple of days whenever this happened, and it's astonishing to me how one-dimensional he is as a player yeah uh so his i mean you know you talk about boomer bust players this this is this is ruben odor Uh, i mean in 2017 he had 124 hits 21 doubles three triples 30 home runs 15 stolen bases six caught stealings his slash line was 204 252 397 an OPS plus of 63. 63. He walked 32 times. That's it. 32 to 162 walk to strikeout ratio. That's ridiculous. He walked only two more times than he hit a home run. That's not good. That number should be so much higher. 204 batting average, 252 on base percentage. That's that's not good. Like, I'm going to pull up Aaron Judge's numbers just because, you know, he gets criticized for being a, a big walk or uh, uh, three true outcomes guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so in 2019, 27 home runs, 64 walks, more than double. 2018, 27 home runs, 76 walks, more than double. 2017, 52 home runs, 127 walks. It's more than double. I mean, that that that's not a guy who's just selling out for the home run like Rudin Dodor is. I know we talked about his 2017 year and how ridiculous it was. He, I, I, I don't remember if you said this and I glossed over it and didn't react to it, but he had more strikeouts than he had hits and walks combined. I didn't say it, but it is true. Uh, which also brings us to his 2019 season where he did the same thing. He struck out 178 times, the most in the American League. He had the same number of home runs as he did doubles, which is just ridiculous. 30 of each, a triple, 107 other hits, uh, 
um, or, or total hits. He walked 52 times. His slash line was 205, 283, 439, an OPS plus of 79. Uh, and he got uh, he, he had 11 stolen bases on nine caught stealings. Just a, just a nightmare on the base paths. I, I mean, well, he would like he was a genuinely good up and coming player. His first three seasons, and then everything in the world collapsed. Just he sucked. And that's the thing. Like you look at that 2017 season, and you say to yourself, you know, like he didn't quite put it together. That on-base percentage is awful, but he hit 30 home runs. You know, like, you know, maybe he'll bounce back. Back-to-back 30 home run seasons. That's a big deal. Yeah, and then the next year was better. Still not great. And 2019 was, again, it's like he still hit 30 home runs, but, like, wow, is he just not doing anything else? And then last season was his uh, worst year ever. So why would the Yankees want this guy? This is not a good hitter. He the saves pro- them money. Well, again, that is true, but that, that's not the only reason. Think of think about this. You ready for this, Corwin? Sure. As bad as what we're looking at is, that is 32 points of OPS plus higher than Tyler Wade. 32 points higher than Tyler Wade. That is a ludicrous amount of additional offensive production to add for two prospects that no one cared about and zero dollars. That's so bad. And that's why I'm imagining they did this because if, if D if, if geo can play short and DJ can play third, whenever Glaber gets hurt or needs an off day during a game, then you can slide Rugi into second have yourself a left-handed bat who's still not going to be good, but will be 32 points more productive in his OPS plus, which is the all around hitting stat, which I'm just using as a catch all. Cause I'm lazy um, better than Tyler Wade. I mean, that's t- Tyler Wade bats as well as like a good hitting pitcher. I mean, it's he's awful. <laughs> That makes me really happy to hear. And, you know, it, it's like, you know, how how much offensive production can you expect out of your nine hole? And it's like, yeah, not much, but st- some yeah. fuck, it, fucking some. It's not even how much you could expect, but like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you choose to to have someone that's better? Like, Ooh. it doesn't matter if it's not amazingly better. It's just better. Zach Grunke has a higher career OPS plus than Tyler Wade. <laughs> Whoa! Uh, career. I mean, not not those... his not his best season. Not not no not a high watermark. Career. Are those like those aren't position? Like that's not POPS plus, right? Nope. Like, nope. It is against just... all batters. Zach Greinke's career shit. OPS plus is 60. Tyler Wade's is 56. Holy shit. I, I right. don't have anything to say. All right. Who has the higher OPS plus? Um, Tyler Wade or Noah Syndergaard? Uh, Syndergaard. All right. Let's see. Noah Syndergaard. 
your OPS plus is nope, nope. Tyler Wade's got him beat. Syndergaard's is twenty eight. Ooh, that's actually awful. But Not he does awful. have that's that's awful and should be expected to be awful. He does have two seasons of OPS of an OPS plus of eighty back to back eighty OPS plus seasons, which Tyler Wade has never done. No. All yeah, right. you're not wrong. Who's got the higher OPS plus, um, Tyler Wade or Jacob Degrom? Tyler Wade or Jacob? Don't we already do Jacob Degrom? No, we did Granky and um, Noah Syndergaard. Uh, wrong match guy. Uh, I'll say uh, Degrom. Nope, still Wade. Degrom's got a thirty OPS plus. Who's, who's oh, give me one more? Care. One more good hitting pitcher. Well, you know, quote unquote good uh, hitting pitcher. Mad bum. I feel like he's always the one talked about. Or Scherzer. Dealer's choice. All right. All right. We'll do both. Just because this is fun. Um, fuck Tyler Wade. And I would say that to his face. I honestly hope we face. meet him now. I might actually buy a Tyler Wade cameo to send to you just so that you have to respond in video message to tell him to go fuck yourself, even though he just did a nice thing for you. Like no, I, I would. I honestly, I wouldn't tell him this face. This is just a game. <laughs> um. Oh, Max Scherzer. That's right. Sorry, I was. So Tyler Wade does have Madison Bumgarner beat by nine points. Madison Bumgarner, uh, career forty-seven OPS plus forties. But Madison Bumgarner has two seasons at league average or better for OPS plus. Tyler Wade doesn't have one. And those seasons were back to back. And Tyler Wade ain't got shit. Tyler Wade is on cameo. And now Madison or uh, Max Max Scherzer. Uh, Max just, Scherzer like, snorted into the mic. <laughs> oh wow, Max Scherzer's career OPS plus is fifteen. Eh. Yeah. He comes through when it matters. How many how many uh, career home runs does Madison Matt, does Max Scherzer have? Max Scherzer, I'll say two. One. How many how many hits altogether? All of the hits. Uh, more than one. Give me a guess. Ten. Seventy-eight. I was very wrong. Now, what do you think's more impressive, a pitcher? Getting a hit or a pitcher taking a walk? Uh, getting a hit. Like a walk is like pitcher do better, but at the same time, it's not terrible and it's not something like it sucks when it happens, but there's worse thing that's worst things to happen, and it's all in all, it happens now and again. Giving up a hit to a pitcher is similar, but so much worse so you know what i'm actually going to disagree i'm going to say it's more impressive for a pitcher to take a walk than get a hit because here's josh's logic i'm ready to already tear you apart i can't wait not tear you apart pitchers take batting practice so we know that they are capable of literally just swinging a bat Mm -hmm. and no one cares whether they get a hit or not because no one expects them to at this point in baseball's lineage um, because they've proven that they just can't do it. So 
if I'm a pitcher, I'm just going to fucking swing. Unless it's an obvious, like, in-the-dirt pitch. And even then, we see a lot of pitchers swing at some garbage stuff. But I'm probably just going to go down swinging because, honestly, like, why the fuck not? That's my best chance. Whereas taking pitches, especially pitches that end up near the corners of the zone, that's an actual skill. And it's a skill that I don't think most pitchers are going to have because they're not usually on the receiving end of close calls and have that level of intimacy and familiarity with the strike zone that an actual batter would. And even if they were able to recognize as a pitch being close to the zone, I'm willing to bet they would rather just swing at it. But I, we just don't see pitchers swing. Like they're just not good enough at hitting a major league baseball to swing readily and swing often and they just don't so when nobody swings it's not a big deal to take a walk because that's just bound to happen you know when you just don't have your command together so it is what it is what would be a a hit though like a hit is going against the norm they don't ever swing swing is not common you're going out of your way and putting yourself in a you know disenfranchised position just to go after the hit. Who's a pitcher with a lot of innings that innings pitched? Like uh, who, who should I look at batting stats for? I want someone um, with a good sample size. Oh, uh, Justin Verlander. He's been around forever. AL. Oh, true. NL, who's been around for a while. You Darvish. All right. Cubs years. Yeah. Just because I remember seeing a tweet about him going up to bat yesterday. Because I'm curious about how we would even measure this. Because obviously, hitting can be random. You know, it. I think it's as simple as on or is walk rate a simple stat to look up? Oh yeah, very. So walk rate versus um, batting average. Which gets you on base more? Well, I don't want to go by batting average because every pitcher's batting average is going to be awful. I'm right, wondering if we like, can look so at is their swing walk per- rate. Well, I'm so wondering is their if we- walk rate. I know. But I'm wondering what I'm trying to think about. What would be the closest we could get to an apples to apples comparison? And I'm and wondering if well, swing percent versus take percent. But like at, at the same rate? time, what's the goal of a pitcher going up to bat? Nobody in the world expects them to get an extra base hit. Nobody expects them to hit a home run. Like the lowest expectation we all have for every pitcher is can you just get on base and not get out? So, which gets you on base more, a walk or a hit? Sorry. Um, which gets you on base more, a walk or a hit? Yeah. Uh, was like that's uh, that's the end all be all goal for someone with hit. such low expectations. A hit will get you on base more. For a pitcher, do they hit better than they take walks? Uh, that's what we're trying to find out. I'm saying that no, they don't. They take they get. Wait, yes, I. I'm, <laughs> I'm saying yes, they get hits more than they get walks because they can't take walks because walks takes a skill that they don't have. Sure, I'll take the opposite. Right, okay. So, looking at you, Darvish. Okay. His walk percent 
by season from 2016 to today is zero, five, zero, three point two, and zero percent. Yes. So that's a career what? walk percent of uh, 2.9. Okay. What's his career batting average? His career. Because I feel like going season by season, like the sample size each year is too small to really. That's, that's the problem with trying to like do this. I am interested, but it, it's the problem is like, you're only going to have so many at bats in a season as a pitcher. You're going to have your 35 ish, probably more like 32 starts. And then maybe maybe three batting uh, plate appearances within there um anyway you darvish's career batting average is 97 so 0.097 versus like what a point three? Oh shit they walk baby uh point zero three shut up corwin point zero three shut up math so he hits about three times as frequently. Math class. He hits about three times as frequently as he walks. Yeah, it's all right. A, a, a walk is more exciting because it happens less often. Yeah, and I, because I, first off, always, um, but also it's just like, yeah, it, if if I'm a, think about you and me, because that's really who pitchers are. You and me. <laughs> when, yep. when we step into the plate. We're, All pitchers are tall, lanky left-handers and short Jewish men. I'm not short. You compare to me. I'm not short. <laughs> Sir, if you are under 6'2", to me, just I don't mean any ill will by it. You're just kind of short. I mean, it's easy to say that when, when you are 6'8", but yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. God, I was, my dad said this the other day, and it made me sad. He was just like, man, you would fucking kill as a pitcher, man. 6'8", as a lefty? Like, Damn. <laughs> And I was like, you asshole, you raised me. Why'd you make me a swimmer? (laughs) Fuck you, mom. I'm not even a land mammal. My mom listens to episodes sporadically. I hope she listens to this one. Mom, if you're listening. It's your fault. You fucked up. Like, (laughs) big time. Like, I could have been someone. Could have been a contender. But I'm not. I'm a bum. bum. Anyway, if you and I got up in a game and... Against uh, fucking anybody, fucking Nick Nelson, no, no one even good, you know, and we got told they're just going to throw fastballs, real fastballs, it's only fastballs. Mm-hmm. How much you want to bet you and I aren't going to sit there and go, I think that one's out of the zone. I uh, uh, see. Here's the thing. I don't know anything. I'm If I course, go up there and absolutely. I stand in the batter's box, I'm fucking clueless. Yep. But I'm going to bet that I have a higher chance of Nick Nelson just sucking and just throwing balls on the edges and just missing rather than me swinging a baseball bat at a 95-mile-an-hour fastball and just getting any sort of contact towards the field of play. See, I think that's the hard part for the pitchers is that I don't. I'm not sure that they have the – the muscle memory to know where the edge of the plate is from the batter's box. Right. So, so I'm not sure that they'd have the recognition to be able to even tell. So you're saying you wouldn't swing because, because you, I, you, I just, you think that he's just going to miss. 
Yeah. But and I, I'm also not walk. sure how we would handle that if you're actually in the situation, because, yeah, I think it's easy to say, I'm just not going to. I mean, we all get paychecks. It's easy to say, I'm just not going to spend any money. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you know, then you see some cool shit online on a targeted Instagram ad that worked very effectively. And then sooner or later, there you're spending all your paychecks. I'll tell you why I guarantee you I would never even swing the bat. The paralyzing fear of seeing a 95 mile an hour fastball come towards your fucking body. Having never seen a pitch toward come towards you before going above like 65. So I once went to a batting cage when I was in Colorado for a weekend that had wow, um, travel brag about it. Oh, yeah, I was in Denver. Um, never going back. It was so hard to breathe. <laughs> it is serious business. Oh my God. Uh, it really is, dude. I was fucking panting, just like walking around and existing. But anyway, I, um, I, I know it. Yeah. I've yeah, got an altitude sickness. It sucks. Dude, it's fuck and like you're thirstier. Like my throat was just yeah. dry the whole time. It's fucking weird. Dry air, and, baby. Very. Um, and the batting cage I went to actually had um there was like set you couldn't, you know, like fuss with it, which is fine, but it had one that threw 85. And I was like, all right, I I'm I'm not gonna get any hits here. I gotta try. I I I hit the ball forward. Mm-hmm. once and i think fouled the ball two other times that was it it is so fucking hard to even get my body to move that fast mm-hmm. and an 85 mile an hour fastball i don't think would register as a fastball if we were in the you know at the at bat against nick nelson or whomever like that's Unless that's a change like up at worst ra dicky or fucking Zach Grinky just fucking with you, there's no way that would ever be a fastball. Right. And uh, I mean, you've seen me in a batting cage against like slow pitching machines, and I didn't do well. Like, I, I baseball is new to me. I never played it as a kid. I'll be honest. It's the hardest thing to do in sports, hitting a baseball. I just, I can't do it. I admit it. I'm a bum. I can't, I can't hit a baseball. It's hard. It's going so up against hard. a 95 mile an hour fastball is literally an impossible task to me. That's just, it will never happen. And that's why I'd say if we got a foul ball, I'd pimp the shit out of it because that means that we got the bat around fast enough to make contact. I almost would rather a foul tipped ball just going into the catcher's mitt so I could actually pimp the foul ball. Because if you foul it off, you still got a hit. I mean, unless they catch it, but whatever. I, foul tipping it into the glove. Okay, I'm out. Fuck it. I'm done. Pimp this. Throw my fucking bat. I hit it. Made contact. I fucking would. Yeah, why not? What do what do we have to lose? I remember once. Um, I want to say it was Hanley Ramirez. I saw pimp a single. It was hilarious because he hit it really far for a single, but out of the batter's box, he knew he also wasn't fast enough to get the double. So, so, so he, he hits the ball and then he like throws his bat and like, like did like a little like thing and then started running. And (laughs) it was the best little moment of like 
petty self-awareness I think I've ever seen because it takes it takes so much inert knowledge of your situation and who you are as a human being to go, I am not fast enough to run that fast. I'm just going to take my base, but do it in a very sassy fashion. And I, I admire the, the pageantry. Now you're muted. Yeah. I have to look this up. I believe it was Hanley Ramirez just pimping a single. Like it was, oh, it was so funny. Hanley Ramirez does a crafty bat flip after a single. He flips, so... He swings the ball in his backswing. He spins it like he releases it above his shoulder and spins it and then just like, <laughs> and then jocks the first. <laughs> oh, he does the flip and then waves like his arms up, like waving to it as he slowly jogs the first and then talks shit to the pitcher. <laughs> and I mean, like, that's just so fucking funny because it's like he knows he's not getting to second. Like Nelson Cruz does this too, where he doesn't try to leg out hard hit long balls because he knows that it has to be such a clear double for him to get there because he's just not fast. Oh, he yeah. doesn't pimp his his singles, but like that recognition is clearly there. But I really wish Nelson Cruz would start pimping his singles because mm-hmm. that's just fucking hilarious. I mean, watching Nelson Cruz, he'll sit and watch the ball to be like, all right, is it out? Or am I out? Because there's no in between. Is it out or do I have to run? Yeah. Oh. I either walk or I trot. I do not run. Who Who do you think would fare better against major league pitching? You and I combined or a 60-year-old Nelson Cruz? 60-year-old Nelson Cruz. I kind of slurred his name a little bit. Nelson Cruz. 60-year-old Nelson Cruz. It's not even close. Yeah, uh, not, not close at all. Dude, I saw 80, I saw Mariano. What about, in, what about like a seventy-five-year-old Nelson Cruz? Still Nelson Cruz. I saw Mariano Rivera, a pitcher, hitting inside the park home run at Old Timers Day. I've seen a seventy-five-year-old man. I forget who at an Old Timers Day hit a home run. There's no, there's no. We're we're never gonna be there, man. I hate how right you are. No, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Rockies. Look, I, I I know you got problems at third base. Like, if you need a guy, let me know. Um, <laughs> you had a guy at third base. You know, if if you want to pay me $50 million to fuck off, I'll do it. But, like, if you need someone to accumulate 450 plate appearances and just see what happens, I you know. I got some hey, free time. What's up? <laughs> God, do you think that would genuinely bring in more people to watch Rockies games than the team they are currently fielding? Like the ability to go watch an average Joe play baseball and just fucking do it. Just literally watching some normal fucking guy just play left field or third base. You know what? Third base would be way scarier. So it would be way more funny. Fucking horrifying. Oh my God. Could you imagine just getting like a shanked shot just come right at you? Just a line drive 150 miles an hour off John Carlos Stanton's bat. I would, I would wear, I would wear a I full suit of armor. I'd wear a full suit of armor. I'd wear one of the softball helmets with like a, a face guard. I, my whole body would be covered in cups. <laughs> I, I would wear a massive cup. You're not wrong, but I would totally wear like a football helmet with a mask. Just like, I don't care how fucking stupid I look. This is keeping me alive. 
I, I'll wear one of those old school catcher's masks on the front of my head and the back just in mm-hmm. case. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, the fact that pitchers and, and, and baseball players don't wear any protection at all is astonishing. Yeah. Like, it really doesn't happen all that often. Like, we see it, and, like, maybe once a year a guy gets hit or, you know, we saw the one case where someone was hit and and was genuinely severely injured. I'm amazed that doesn't happen more. Seriously, that that, that ability to react, that that reaction timing is superhuman. It's ungodly, and I don't understand it. Um, I would just cower in fear, so... That's who I am. Which is how I would approach sports as an adult. Yep. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anyway, I've got nothing else. It's been it's been an exciting week to have baseball back and news stories generating. There is hope now uh, in small force for the Jets as we are rapidly approaching the draft within the month, uh, just a handful of weeks away. So we'll probably start doing some draft prep stuff. Um, in the next in the coming weeks so that we can get ready for it quarterbacks all quarterbacks all the time fuck the positions it's just it's just quarterback oops all quarterbacks <laughs> that's I the I do QB rankings I'm gonna do QB rankings I'll put my ass together at some point man idioms have been hard today phrases words everything I've kind of rolled through them all but man it, it's been a rough day for me it's been a rough month and even your year, but I'll be there for you. All right. Anyway, let's get out of here. If if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing Pod. If you want to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Trace. If you want to send us emails, you can do so at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. And until Monday, y'all have a good one. Hi.